Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing. sing thy grace, streams of mercy ever ceasing.
Good morning. Good morning. I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and we are so glad to see everyone here, especially our visitors. We hope that, uh, that you will receive a warm welcome. We do want to remind uh, everyone to please check in by typing check in to 469-476-5331. You'll be able to get a digital bulletin then once you do that. Be sure to check the bulletin for lots of news and uh, upcoming events. I want to mention just two things. Uh, one is Pumpkin Fest. Wow, what a huge crowd at Pumpkin Fest. I, um, I'm thinking Halloween wouldn't have been a big deal because I've worn a mask and eaten candy for the last 18 months. <clears throat> but a lot of people uh, were here, and I want to thank uh, Rebecca Sutton and all the ministers and staff uh, for the great work. and. Especially thanks to all the volunteers. It couldn't happen without you. You made it happen uh, for so many people to have such a wonderful evening. So thank you very much. And then also, uh, we're tying two prayer quilts today. Uh, and so uh, more information is coming that later in the service. But we want to make sure that, that uh, you are participate in the tying of those prayer quilts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven... You truly are our fount of every blessing. That's why we come to you today to praise you, to proclaim your name, to sing and praise your name and to give you the glory. We rejoice in you. We also, Lord, depend on you. Help us, Lord, in, in our troubles. We have many who are suffering the pains of this world. We ask that you would be with them in your comfort, peace, and even joy. Help your love flow through us as we seek to be your instruments to them. And help us to be your light in this dark world. Accept then this sacrifice of praise to you, our creator and sustainer of our faith. In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Chronicles 16, 8 and 10. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Phil, wearing a mask and eating candy for 18 months is an underappreciated line. I appreciated that line, though. Uh, my, my name is Mike Pipkin. I am not John Scott Davis, uh, our worship minister. John Scott and Paula are headed off to a well-deserved vacation, so I am pinch-hitting today. Let's continue our worship and song. Let's stand as we sing. My hope is built on nothing less Oh, oh, oh. 
Todd Robertson will be coming up in just a moment to lead us in our thoughts as we gather around the communion table, this most important time of our time of worship together, where we remember the death and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
for our sins. We're thankful for that. Let's, as we go into that time, let's sing. Uh, How deep the Father's
Since we're on the uh, pumpkin fest theme from last night, as Jim had loaded up all the garbage to take it out, I decided oh, I'll go help Jim unload garbage. Man, we produce a lot of garbage at Pumpkin Fest. It's messy. I had it all over my hands. I had it all over my shoes. I had it all over my pants. And that's just from taking it to the truck and throwing it in the dumpster. And as I think back to communion and I think about this time that we have, it's messy. I mean, we're messy. People are just messy. Our relationships are messy. Our friendships are messy. Our work relationships are messy. And thank God, every Sunday, we get a chance to have that mercy and to be reconciled back with the Christ who loves us. We're just messy. And that's what taking trash out at Pumpkin Fest taught me last night. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. And we may not understand all that is wrapped around that, but we understand that it's a gift and it's mercy and we didn't ask for it. Help us to be a light to those in this broken world. Help us to be the salt that helps reconcile relationships and brings others to you. And help us be willing to share the good news with those around us. In your son's name we pray, amen. Lord, as we continue this communion and as we take the cup, we just thank you for the blood that was shed that cleanses us, that makes us new again. Help us in our personal relationships to carry on that same mercy to others. Thank you for loving us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
are here. We are messy. Our parking lot is messy. Hopefully the fence is gone <laughs> next week. Uh, but thank you for uh, putting up with that. And thank you guys who donated and who served and who were here setting up, cleaning up, and doing everything in between yesterday. Um, it was really neat to see our mission field right here on our campus. Uh, 2,730 people, give or take, uh, 700 more than last year, which was a record, and it's awesome, and it's messy, and it's beautiful, and we're loving our neighbors, and I think they're loving what we're doing here, and uh, it's making an impact. So, if you want to give this morning, you can do that. You can drop a check or something in the collection box out there, or you can drop it on the website and the give button, or use church teams as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving people like us who are a bit of a mess. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for choosing to engage with us and for inviting us, Jesus, to join you in loving our neighbor as ourselves. And last night was an amazing example of that. And I just pray that seeds were planted. I just pray that our city could, can feel how much we care about about them and love them and want what's best for them and their kids. And, and I just pray, God, that you'll continue to turn this church into salt and light in this city, in our mission field and beyond. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Preston Crest was great for our community last night as we went with Pumpkin Fest for yet another year, thanks to Rebecca and for everything that she does to get that organized. And thanks, for, thanks to all of you for your efforts to make that such a great evening for our community, as, as Gordon has alluded to. We got a couple of things I want to uh, put in the front of your mind before we uh, sing one more song and Gordon brings us the message. Out in the foyer today, we've got actually two prayer quilts uh, that are, are, have been made for a couple of people that I'll talk about here in just a moment. Uh, for those of you that, that may be new here, we've got a lot of visitors that are coming to Preston Crest. Our prayer quilt ministry is, a, is, a, is a, an effort of love to care for those that are going through very difficult health, uh, health concerns. And today we actually have two quilts uh, that are set up outside. What we'd ask you to do is to go out, go out to the table and to tie a knot uh, in the quilt. And as you do so, to say a prayer over the, the person whose quilt is out there. But then as you, as you leave here, continue to pray over them during the course of the weeks and, and uh, this week and in the weeks, days, weeks, and months to come because uh, they, they need those prayers. Uh, today, we're, we've got a, a quilt out for Brandon Crumpley. Uh, he is uh, the son of a co-worker of Pam, Pam Holman. Uh, he is uh, suffering from multiple, multiple myeloma, which is uh, a blood cancer uh, we may have heard of in the last uh, few weeks. That's what Colin Powell had as well. And he needs prayers for healing and strength. So let's, let's tie a knot for Brandon uh, on his quilt, continue to pray for him. And also we want to uh, keep in mind and pray for Leslie Carden. She's a former member here at Preston Crest. She's suffering from kidney cancer uh, that is spread all over her body. Uh, she is undergoing treatment for that right now, and, uh, and we just want to continue to pray for her, pray for the doctors that are tending to her, that that treatment works, 
and that she have peace and comfort. And she's also requesting prayers for her husband, Alan, and for their sons, Brady and Mason. Uh, I think it's right for us as we, as we spend this moment right now. Let's say a prayer for, uh, for Brandon and for Leslie before we continue. Lord, we are thankful that we can call you our Father and that we can approach you in times like this without an, without an intercessory, without having to ask somebody to pray for us. We can pray for people. We can pray for ourselves. And right now, we pray for Brandon and for Leslie. Lord, we ask you to, to bless their health, bless, bless those that are treating them, and bring them back to full health, Lord. We know that that is within your power if it is your will. We are thankful that we can come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got kids in children's church, as we stand and sing this next song, you can head that direction for that. Let's sing, Salvation Belongs to Our God. Let's go ahead and stand. And we, the redeemed, shall be strong in purpose and in unity, declaring aloud praise and glory, wisdom and Thank you, Mike. You are a blessing. Appreciate you helping out today. Um, Patrick Sutton. <laughs> Rebecca gets a lot of press, bro. If we could clone her, we would, and that would make Preston Crest even better. Like, for Rebecca. But you, as her husband, being, I know, I know this personally, being married to someone amazing is difficult at times because it means where she is, you are. So I, I'm just guessing you were here really early and really late and doing a lot of work. So thank you, and thank you, Stephanie, and thank you, everybody uh, who's here. Uh, hey, tonight, I did want to tell you, we're doing a little series on Sunday nights called Encounters with Jesus, Working Through the Gospels, looking how Jesus uh, connected with all kinds of different people from different backgrounds. And tonight's going to be special. We're going to talk about how we encounter Jesus at work. Um, in the workplace, that that is a place where we get to not only be the hands and feet of Jesus, but we get to see the Lord at work. And tonight, I'm going to have a panel up here. We're going to have Michelle Tucker, Dr. Tucker. We're going to have uh, Scott Wolf. We're going to have Oliver Johnson. If you know all or any of them, you're going to want to be here because uh, it's going to be a really good panel. And it's going to help us, I think, see uh, how the Spirit uses us and opens doors uh, to connect with people and love them, and share the gospel with them when we are at work. So be here tonight at 6 for that. So I got a question for you. Have you ever been driving 
Uh, I think most of us drive here, not all of us probably, but have you ever been driving and you ran out of gas? If you are willing to admit that, raise your hand. I have, okay, I have, okay. Um, it's not fun. Uh, it happened to me in college. Uh, my 79 Impala did not have a working gas gauge. I would highly recommend a working gas gauge. And nine times out of ten, I kind of had a good feel. I kind of knew, well, I gassed up a few days ago. I should be good. But I kind of like getting it down to the vapor zone before I pull over. And my wife and I, very different on this. She's like, she's a half empty kind of person. It's half empty. I need to go get gas. I'm a half full. We're great, you know. Uh, but that's kind of the way I roll. Well, I got a story for you. Uh, this is from Fremont, California. It is a police chase story happened two years ago. High speed chase. And the officer got up to 120 miles an hour at times during this chase, long chase. The officer was driving one of the department's Teslas, okay, one of the electric cars, and apparently started his shift and it wasn't fully charged, and at one point had to call back to the dispatch and say, hey, I've only got six miles left, I mean, according to my Tesla, and this thing's going to run out of juice, and sure enough, it did. Um, I guess the good and the bad of that is the the guy who was running from the police hit heavy traffic and, and got stopped, so they actually caught up with his car the bad news is he was gone. But, um, so I don't know if the rule there is don't take a Tesla to a car chase. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying I think we can all identify personally with the feeling of running out of gas. And maybe you haven't with your car, but I bet you've had that feeling personally. Like I am physically exhausted or I am emotionally or spiritually on empty. I bet we've had that feeling. Uh, Jesus, for example, had this obviously incredible life. But think about the demands on Jesus in particular. Um, when you have the power to heal, that's great. It also means swarms of people, all kinds of people, young people, old people, religious people, uh, not so religious people. They're going to swarm you and want something from you. That was his daily life. That was draining, I'm sure. Imagine when you are dealing with some criticism. Well, he dealt with a lot of criticism, Jesus did. Organized criticism. People looking for any misstep. People listening to hear him say something that was off so they could get him. Lots of opponents. And that had to be draining. Imagine living with this knowledge. I mean, all of us are going to die unless Jesus comes back. Jesus knew how he was going to die. He knew it was going to be awful. He knew when. Imagine living with that. The weight of the world on your shoulders. And no one else, even though he tried to share it with his inner circle, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be, they didn't fully get it, but he knew. But yet, Jesus lived with a joy with an energy, with the power, and all of that. And his disciples, his friends who were with him constantly, they noticed that, and they knew where it came from. It wasn't some supplement that he was taking. It wasn't some exercise regimen. They knew it came from his prayer life. 
And so we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer for a few weeks. Because they said to him in Luke chapter 11 verse 1, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We need that. We run on empty. We need that. We need what you have with God. And it's interesting. I can't find anywhere else in the New Testament where his disciples said, Lord, teach us to X, Y, or Z. Only this. They came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, I would have thought maybe, Lord, teach us to do that thing where you walk on water. Like, I would sign up for that class. I would pay the entrance fee for the walk on water class. Or, Lord, teach us to uh, multiply bread like you did and fish. I mean, we could have used that at Pumpkin Fest. We ran, we ran out of food last night. That would have been handy. Or teach us to cast out demons or teach us to do that. But they said, no, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the thing they asked him to teach them. And so out of that, them noticing how he connected to God, how prayer was the charging station. That's where he stopped and got away from people and fueled up. And it wasn't a transactional thing, but it was a relational thing. But that's where he, he found himself full of the Spirit of the Lord and able to go take on all of those draining pressures and demands. And so we get this amazing, amazing prayer. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Feel free to read this out loud with me. I know you're familiar with this. Uh, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the most famous prayer ever. And it's really a prayer that's composed of eight kind of smaller prayers. And that's kind of what we're going to be working through over the next few weeks. As we pray what, or we ask what they ask. Hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. We run on empty we feel weak. We feel exhausted. We feel like we can't put another foot in front of the next. We feel like we can't go on. So teach us to pray. Um, and it's, it's a revolutionary prayer. I don't think I'm exaggerating with that. I'll explain that more in a moment. It's a revolutionary prayer and it's a foundational prayer for all of life. It is incredibly helpful what Jesus taught them to pray. Now, it is a little tricky for us because it is so well known, because I bet many of us have it memorized, probably memorized it as a child. It is so familiar that it can kind of become domesticated. It can kind of become rote. It can kind of become just kind of press play, autopilot. Here's the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus prayed something that was anything but tame, all right? The words that came out of him, those would have been like, speaking of Teslas, like it would have been like an electric shock to his disciples the way he started that prayer because he said, our Father. I mean, I get it if he said, my Father. He's the only begotten of God. No, he said, our Father. You pray that. You pray to your Father, and it was 
scandalous in a way. I mean, like, sure, in the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, uh, several times God is referred to as the father of Israel, but never addressed in a personal, intimate way. My father, it was never that way for the Jews. And to be clear, this is what got Jesus killed, in case you're wondering. This, exactly this. Well, what we talked about last week, the Sabbath, and this. Referring to God as his father, it is why they wanted to kill him. John chapter 5, Jesus answered them. These are the Jewish religious authorities. Jesus answered them and he said, My father is working until now and I am working. My father and this circle, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even, even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. That's why they wanted him dead. Sabbath breaking, calling God his father. This familiarity, this personal intimacy he expresses with the God of the universe. So when we pray, our Father, you don't need to be shocked. You don't need to be scandalized or any of that. But you need to be aware of how absolutely like revolutionary that idea is. And Jesus taught us to pray our Father. So, yeah. Uh, 39 Old Testament books. 39 Old Testament books. Uh, God is referred to as a father um, 15 times. 39 books, 15 times Old Testament. When Jesus arrives, the New Testament, okay, when Jesus arrives, just in the first four books, the Gospels, the four books of the New Testament that open our New Testament canon, that word Father is used to refer to God 165 times. It becomes the way of referring to God. Yeah, revolutionary. And it's interesting, like Muslims have 99 different names for Allah. Father is not one of those names. So this is, this is different. Uh, and Jesus wants us to feel that same connection because it's true of us. We are his children. He is our father. And so the very first thing, when we're thinking about how do I power up? How do I get through my Monday or my Friday? How do I get through this season of life? I'm talking to my father. The God of the universe is my father. I am his treasured child. Theologian R.C. Sproul kind of talks about this. He says, uh, in all the existing books of the Old Testament and all the existing books of extra-biblical Jewish writings dating back from the beginning of Judaism till the 10th century AD in Italy, there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as father. The first Jewish rabbi to call God father directly was Jesus of Nazareth. It was a radical departure from tradition and in fact in every recorded prayer we have from the lips of Jesus save one, he calls God Father. So, we don't just like jump past that when we're praying. Our Father, 
We don't just consider that. Those are just preamble, like opening words. Now let's get on to the real meat of the prayer. No, this reveals who God is. He is our Father and who we are in His sight. You need to see yourself as his precious child. That is who you are. Now, you may not always get what you are praying for. We all know that. You may not, according to his love and wisdom, you may not get exactly what you would like to get, but what you will get is his attention because you're his child. And this gets to how we see ourselves. And J.J. Packer, another theologian, says this is the question. He says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And I think that's true. So it's the, it's the starting blocks for Jesus. Teach us to pray. Our Father. Our Father. Now, to be clear about something, he is a... He is a good father. And I say that because the fathers that we know are all varying degrees of flawed. I'm a father. I'm flawed. And some of us have backgrounds, have experiences where we had absent father, fathers that left us or fathers that were deeply flawed in very hurtful, maybe even abusive ways. And I'm sorry if that's your experience, but I want you to know that in Christ, you have a good father. Your eternal father is a good, good father. His love for you is greater than, I assure you, greater than anyone else's love for you. He deals with you with mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. He is in the business of when you fall, of restoring you and setting things right. Look at the cross if you want to know that that's true. He sets things right. That's what he does. And though we are sinners, though we disobey, though we at times turn our backs on him, though we sin and fall short, he forgives, he restores, he sets right. Remember that story Jesus told about God. It's called the prodigal son in Luke 15. I don't like that man-made descriptor we put over that. I think it's I think it's the good father. I think this is the parable of the good father. I think we need to change that in our Bibles, okay? So the, this, this parable of the good father, you're probably familiar with it. One of the most familiar, famous parables Jesus tells. It's, it starts with this father and, and these two sons, and one of these sons commits, I mean, it's almost a crime. It is so wrong and so hurtful and disrespectful. He comes to his father and he says, I don't want to wait for you to die. 
I want my money. I want my inheritance now. And is his father, is this guy old and decrepit and ready to die? No, later in the story, he's running. So this guy's, this guy's in prime shape, okay? But he wants his money now. And, and his father says, I mean, I'm not going to keep you a prisoner here. here. Here it is, okay, if that's what you want. And so he makes tracks. That kid gets a, as far away from his dad, from his father's house, from his family as he possibly can. He goes to a distant country with all of this money, and then he begins to make some colossally bad choices. We've all made bad choices. He makes some really reckless, horrible choices in a short amount of time. Verse 14 says he squandered his wealth with reckless living. There were prostitutes. There was all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, he's just throwing money around, right? And he's in this distant land. He's a foreigner far away from home. He runs out of money, and he starts getting hungry. What am I going to eat? And you know, I mean, he gets this job, throwing out the pig slop, feeding the pigs. And he is so desperate that, I mean, when he is tossing that pig slop out, his mouth is watering, wanting to feed on that. That's how bad it was. Comes to his senses. What have I done? Even my father's servants have plenty to eat. My life is miserable. So he, he plots, he schemes his return home. But I know he's not going to take me back as his son. But maybe I can get one of those like minimum wage jobs shoveling out the stables or something. So he starts home. And you probably know how this thing ends. It's amazing. His father sees him from far off. And his father takes off running toward him. Embraces him. Throws an expensive robe over him. Puts a, a ring on his finger. And <laughs> has everything set up for a giant barbecue. A giant party to welcome his son. He was lost, but he's found. That's how God feels about his straight-A student, righteous, got it all together. That's how he feels about us when we are rebellious, when we make mistakes, but we turn back toward him. Ah, his heart is so full. I just wish I could beam, like beam that truth straight into the heart of every grace-starved sinner, every legalistic saint, too, who thinks it's up to them, that, that it's all about their performance. I wish I could beam that message into their hearts. It, we're not saved. We're not set right because we figured it out. Because we've cleaned ourselves up. We're saved. We're set right because of his heart. He loves us so much. This is our Father. Our Father. In heaven, this is how he feels about us. So, three quick things as we finish out this morning that I, that I gleaned from this. There's probably a lot more good stuff from just this, our Father in heaven. One of them is that God, our Father, is so near. God is close. I mean, I think that's why the disciples asked 
this of Jesus. It was, they had prayed their whole lives. They had heard other rabbis and synagogue leaders and religious folks pray, but they had never seen anyone whose prayer life looked like this. Like Jesus, like he's sitting down with a friend and he's connecting. They had never seen anything like that. God was so close to Jesus. And so they said, teach us to pray. I mean, Jesus could have absolutely, correctly, theologically, spot on, could have said, okay, let me teach you to pray. Pray like this. Our creator who art in heaven. Yeah, could have prayed that. Our almighty Yahweh, our Adonai, our Lord. He could have taught him to pray like that. But he said, okay, pray like this. Our Father, our Father in heaven. By the way, there's a reason other rabbis weren't walking around praying like this because only Jesus had this unique identity as God's only begotten son. Um, he had existed in this unity with Father and Spirit, this triune love unity since forever. And so he had this privilege. He had this identity. And now we get it because he goes to the cross and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Our sins are forgiven through Jesus. We are adopted into God's family. He says, you have the right to call God your father. But it's because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. So he's close. When you pray, he hears. He's close. He's also constant. God is constant. Our Father in heaven, like, like we have a lot of dads in here. I'm a dad. My children have seen me on good days. I think I'm generally pretty good as a dad. They've seen me on some bad days. They have seen me yell at the minimum wage Whataburger worker through the little speaker in the drive-thru. They've seen that. They have seen some not-so-highlight real moments from me. Um, Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, I do not change. I am constant. And I think we get that from our Father in heaven. We are reminded that he is in this place where his will is done perfectly at every moment in heaven, where his will is done, where there is no fall, where there are no rebellious sinners around. There are no tornadoes. There are no ER waiting rooms. No chemotherapy, no cancer wards, no police stations, no civil wars. It's where he rules perfectly. He is constant. He is good. And don't think he can't identify with you. No, he can identify with you. That's why he came in human form. That's why he sent his son. That's the story of the incarnation. He became one of us. So that we talked about this in class this morning, so that we would have a high priest who sympathizes with us, who has been through what we have been through, so he knows what we deal with. So he's close, he's constant, and he is capable. God is capable. I am somewhat capable. Sometimes my kids come to me and they need a little money, and I actually have it. 
here you go. Sometimes I'm like, ugh, this isn't a good, this isn't a good month. Check back later, right? Sometimes they come to me and I'm having a good day. And man, I'm like kind and I'm patient and all that. Sometimes not so much. Quit laughing. Um, <laughs> those of you who know me, right? Um, sometimes I've got plenty of time. Sometimes I don't have to. I, I got to go somewhere. Sometimes I've got plenty of know-how. Oh, you got this problem? I know exactly what to do. I know how to change the oil in your car, right? Um, sometimes I don't. That's me. Um, human dads, dads like me, um, we make promises that we mean to keep. Sometimes we can't, and it stinks. But our Father in heaven, he is a good, good Father. He is always capable. He keeps his promises. He isn't bound to the ups and downs of everyday stuff. I mean, he's bound to us, and he knows what we go through, but he's not worried about whether he's going to get a raise this year. He's not worried about whether his stock portfolio is going to do okay this month. He's not worried about, I mean, there aren't days where he gets tired, <laughs> like, or grumpy, okay? Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, unlimited resources, not just for this short life, not just, am I going to have enough for this week? or for retirement, or for, no, he has unlimited resources for the duration, for eternity. His wealth, his wisdom, they're not going to run out. By the way, I wanted to finish with this passage because I just feel like John is giving us something here that we just need to press on our hearts this morning as we finish this conversation up. 1 John 3, 1. Listen, and then we'll read this together in a minute, but just listen first. John says, I just see him begging here, just imploring. He's, hey, just see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And I like this line. And so we are. In case you're wondering. And so we are. Read that with me. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so you are. Child of God. We're about to sing a final song. And if you need to pray to our Father for yourself, for a situation, for somebody that you care about, we would love to pray with you. I'll be here. One of our elders will be here. You can pray with somebody sitting next to you this morning, somebody from your small group, your class, your family. Uh, and just pray to our Father who is close, who is constant, who is capable. Maybe it's time to become a child of God. It's the good news, right? Through Jesus, you can become a child of God. It starts with putting your faith in Jesus, in the story of the gospel. And you mark that by being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's respond as we stand together and worship. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. 
What a great morning of worship, reaching up in song and word, reaching in in prayer and fellowship, reaching out in service and influence. Thank you, Gordon, for helping us appreciate that God is our Father and we are his children. And in that light, please uh, join me in our take-home verse today from Proverbs 14:26. whoops, nope, Matthew 6:33. Matthew 6:33 In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge go in the love and peace of God